Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today, we are talking about the spoilers for Season 3, Episode 15, Consequences. And yes, I had to have my uh, assistant uh, fact check that for me because I said it was Episode 14, and it is not. Dang, me and Tabby got downgraded. (laughs) Got downgraded to assistant. Not even like a co-host. I should have said my producer made you sound so much more cool and epic. And Tabby's like, my co-producer. Ghostwriter. We are all those things. We are the editors, the producers, the writers. Anyway, we are talking about consequences today. And I'm very excited because so much good stuff is happening. The episodes are starting to ramp up. And there's just a lot of foreshadowing and a lot of like themes that we see throughout the rest of the series that really kind of get started here. And it's just going to be really fun to talk about it all. I feel like this episode is literally just a commercial for Angel. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Like even just like the way that Angel feels in this episode is very – Yeah, it's very first season Angel. Angel. He's very like – no, it's it's very like show Angel. Like he's very in the shadows, like observing. And then he like – gathers his information and like it's just the way it's sometimes it almost feels like it's shot through his perspective like it's just very interesting yeah no i totally agree i actually wrote that down too it it really feels like it's kind of a little bit of a teaser um and i know we said that about Anne. i know we said that about amends but this one feels more like the formula for what they're going to use for angel they even have like the quick flashes when they're examining the body and you have Angel in the corner yep. in the dark. Yep, and it I wrote feels that like too. Detective Angel from the no, series. No, you know what flashes. it is? Anne is like the teaser trailer. And then you have what was the next episode you said? Amends. Amends is like the actual trailer, like the real trailer. Like, oh, this is what it's gonna uh, look like. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. And then this one is like the pilot. <laughs> like right. it's like the beginning, the like testing the waters. Yeah. Well, I remember we talked with Dee and she was talking about how a lot of um, early season one of Angel was shot at the same time that they were shooting Buffy season three, like the end of it. So I wouldn't be surprised if they were very much influenced by what was happening over there with the feel of this episode. But I mean, not just that, but we have the meetings of the core three members of Angel, at least, or I I guess I should say the OG members of Angel. You have Wesley and Cordelia meeting up for the first time. You have um, Angel and Wesley's first interactions. It's just really, really fun. You also have a major Faith storyline going on right now and Faith becomes a pretty big character in Angel and I mean not only does she become a big character but I feel like Faith like continues and finishes her arc pretty much on well for the most part finishes on Angel and so it's like this Mm -hmm. is the beginning of her arc and then it's kind of we see the pretty much the big chunk that we miss out on Buffy is on Angel and then she comes back and she gets that final little stretch in season seven and I mean Wesley we don't even see him ever again but like you literally have like four of the characters that become huge on angel in this episode 
like big mm-hmm. key parts of this episode, except for Cordelia, who's been sidelined this whole episode or this whole season. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and then on top of that, you also have Wesley kidnapping Faith and going behind everybody's backs in order to do something that he believes is right, which is so yes. key. It's literally exactly – he does this, I think, yeah. three times. <laughs> he does this right now, and then he does it a second time with Faith. Does he not? Well, it's played off Does that he, he is doing that. <laughs> he ends up he ends up like double crossing the watchers or I think it's the watchers council oh, who are there to right, like ki- right. kidnap Faith. Yeah. I know, Tabby, making fun of me. Every time I say something and there's a silence, <laughs> I always get insecure. I'm like, Frank, I said something wrong. But and then the third one is when he steals Angel's baby. Right. Which my personal opinion is that he should have dropped, kicked him into the next dimension and left him there. Because I hate Connor with a fire passion. <laughs> oh, I was like, who um, are you talking about? Not I was like, Wesley? Wesley? No, thank you. No. Connor should have been friggin' stayed in the hell dimension. Should have died there. <laughs> baby Connor was fine. Like, this isn't me hitting on babies. Like, I'm just saying, like, he shouldn't have come back. Or just, like, shouldn't have anything at all. But, like, I'm fine with him being a baby and, like, being born in that whole plot line. But he just needed to die and stayed it. I mean, uh, if you have compassion for Don, I feel like you should have compassion for Connor as well. No, it's not the same. It's mm. not the same. Why is it not Dawn the same? Don wasn't trying to sleep with a full-grown man. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Not to mention, Maybe in like, the comics. Yeah. Well, no, she was legal at that point. But she um, did sleep with Xander, so. That's what I'm saying. She was legal at that point. It's so much different. And not to mention, like, Dawn has her whiny moments for sure. Like, I'm I'm not discrediting that. But I would argue by the time Dawn gets in season six, she's not whiny anymore. Like, she really starts to grow up. She goes through a lot and, like, she kind of becomes more of her own. Yeah, she has really whiny annoying. moments. She has whiny moments in season for sure. six. But, yeah, she's grown up. I guess, up. yes. But it's it's not, like, all the time. And even in season five, it's like a lot of her whiny moments is like after she finds out she's the key. So then yeah. she's going all existentialist, which like understandable. I would be too. And then by season five, Dawn is like like a woman. You mean season seven? Like, but yes. Yeah. Sorry. My bad. She's like – she's a woman. She's like – she thought she was going to be a potential and then it, like she ends up going the watcher route and stuff. And I think that's so cool. Whereas, like, Connor's character just stays the same. Like, every scene he's in, he's so annoying and just, like, oh, my gosh. And I'm not trying to be rude to the actor, but, like, that fool has the most punchable face in the show. Like, (laughs) it's so bad. I'm not the actor. It's just the character. Just, like, on the screen, how they do him and all. They just do him so dirty. Like, oh, man. Maybe I have compassion for him somewhere in my heart, but... I really don't see him and Don as the same at all. Well, when we get to season four of Angel on the podcast, we'll have to pull you over there, Leah, so you can come talk about Connor. Just for a hate episode. Just for a hate episode. I'm like, boo. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think the character himself is awful. I think they just did him dirty with the writing, but that is a whole other topic. 
All right. So in the spoiler-free section, I was talking a lot about utilitarian arguments and even Kantian arguments that we've seen in the show in previous episodes. But I kind of wanted to quickly do like an overview of arguments that we will see in future episodes as well, because I think it's really interesting to look at that and go, oh, that's what they're trying to do there. Um, And kind of see where the characters differ in their philosophies or whether they stay the same and are consistent in their thinking throughout the rest of the series. So we talked about for utilitarian Jenny's defense of angel and innocence. Um, And then in the Zeppo, there's a comparison between the already dead guys with bombs blowing up the school. And that's like, that's doing crime because it would result in loss of life as well as property versus bombing the school in the season finale to destroy the mayor. And that's considered heroism because although it destroyed property, it saved lives. Um, In the series of Angel, the valet's argument to Angel to choose his own life over Darla's, um, the ethical problems with raising the dead throughout the entirety of the series of Buffy, killing Dawn to save the universe from chaos and destruction. Um, And Giles is actually more utilitarian in that argument when he's saying, hey, Buffy, you should kill Dawn because it's for the greater good. uh, Mm. I think it's interesting that both Wesley and Giles have the same worldview. Yeah, nature versus For nurture sure. right there. They they really no, I really do think it is. I think that it's the idea of like even though they're both they've taken being a watcher both into their very different tactics than it is in the watcher's council. I I do really think that it's one thing that was ingrained with them that it's like no matter the cost, like a single life is not worth the whole world and I think that stems from the fact that the watcher's council place value on all the other lives than the slayer so they say Mm -hmm. oh if you have to sacrifice your slayer to save the world you sacrifice Mm -hmm. the slayer right and we can see how that would be um something that is important later on i don't think i'm not going to say that that's an always a wrong mindset and viewpoint i think there is room for it but it's really interesting because i think like we've talked about lies my parents told me. I think deep down, this Kantian versus utilitarian viewpoint is what separates Buffy from Giles. They both have an end goal, save the world, but how they get there is different. And that comes to a head in lies my parents told me. And even though I absolutely hate how they do that episode, it's still very smart because we've seen Buffy and Giles clash in little ways throughout the series. And that's for the first time where they like really butt heads. And it's it's just kind of interesting. Other examples would be letting Wesley die in order to capture Angelus and prevent future deaths that he will cause over on Angel. Um, Jasmine's whole philosophy is world peace worth free will and the lives of thousands. Um, and then Doyle in City of uh, well, city of dot, dot, dot in the pilot episode of Angel. And then Wesley's argument for giving back the box of Gavrock in choices. Remember when he's willing to sacrifice Willow and says, hey, we have the box. Let's not sacrifice or let's give Willow to the mayor. And everyone's like, no, we're going to take Willow and sacrifice the box. And then um, another huge example of this is Buffy's decision to kill Anyanka and Selfless which I think is a really big one. Well, but I think it also points out the hypocrisy in Xander because when Buffy had to kill Angel and like Xander was all, he's going to kill everyone, blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Like, you know what I mean? Like doing all this yeah. stuff. And he suddenly it was all about the world. It was all about the world and how, you know, it, you have to sacrifice the one person for the world. But then when 
like Anya literally of free will, free volition, murders a house full of boys. Right. Like he's all like, oh, you you don't know what you're doing. Give her another chance. But I love her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I love her. Bubble. It's like, man, shut up. Shut up. Like, so hypocritical. Changes his whole wor- worldview because he's the one going through it. Oh, sorry, guys. I'm, I was doing so good at not hating Xander for a while. <laughs> Leah had and a good I'm nap starting to, I'm starting to wake up from my nap. All of my, I'm burning all my energy now, and then when I go to the gym, I'm going to be pooped. All right, so Kantian analysis of um, the show is – uh, we talked about the sexism in some assembly required. Um, and then we talked about Buffy's argument about de- Alan's death in consequences. Um, Buffy and Oz's argument versus Wesley's um, in choices in Willow versus the box of Gavrock. Um, the Kantian arguments of Buffy's stabbing of faith in graduation. Angel's actions toward Darla in the trial. So a lot of these are contrasting what we've already talked about. Um, Ampada would be a transgressor we talked about this in the spoiler free section but ampata the frat members billy fordham and professor walsh and the mcnamara mcnamara brothers gosh that's hard to say the mcnamara brothers and the watches council are people that all directly um contrast kantian viewpoints um this one was really interesting so one of the examples they gave was neutered spike intentions versus actions. And remember how the whole thing about Kantian ethics is the idea that like, if we judge people by their intentions. um, And so the whole thing is that, okay, there's spike over there. We can't kill him because technically he's helpless, but his intentions are evil. And that's why his chip works. So then it becomes a bit of a conflict with Buffy's worldview, or is it a conflict with Buffy's worldview if Buffy's like, no, I shouldn't kill him because he's innocent, yet technically his intentions are bad and are wrong. So it just makes for like a really interesting question, one that we'll talk about when we get to season four and five, I'm sure. I would at least argue, though, that Buffy's outlook on the world has always been the same. It Mm -hmm. has always been like you fight for the individual and like sacrifice mm-hmm. sacrificing one person's life should only be the absolute last option. We see it with Angel, we even see it with Dawn, like we see it with Spike, like we see it with even characters she really not like hates but grows to hate cuz um what was his name? Uh in season uh Lie to Me. What was the guy's name Lie to Me? Ford. Ford. Like we see that with Ford like the the logical thing would just be to let him die and just like kill him right away but like she doesn't want to like buffy's thing is never she's very opposite giles which is just like oh just kill him. like just kill him and saves everyone's life even ben we see that with ben yeah i think this is how i view it it's easy to think the way that giles thinks when you're not the person having to make those actual decisions um it's easy for giles to sit there and be like well the the easy thing is just to kill Dawn, you know, close the portal. Whereas Buffy has always tried really hard to maintain her humanity and her empathy. Um, Cause I think a part of her is scared that she, if she allows that darker side of being the slayer to take over, then she's going to lose herself. And so I think, and that's just who Buffy is too. She's naturally very like sympathetic and like, and thinks of other people rather than herself. But I think that, Again, it's easy to look on the outside and be like, 
this is the objective point of view. Let's do that. But he's not the one having to kill Don. He's not the one having to like actually drive out all these hard decisions. And even if he is, who's going to take the brunt of the repercussions and the pain? It's Buffy. So it makes sense, especially as a watcher too, having the mindset of a watcher too, but then also having like a little bit of, I guess, like um, like a, a friction between two different people with power. And then as Buffy's getting older, um, there, his authority over her is becoming very like thinned out and thinned out. So it makes sense why he views that way. But I, I think that, I guess Sarah said, like the seeds are being planted every season and it's growing a little bit more and more. And then Lies My Parents Told Me comes and it's like, that episode is really hard to watch. I disagree a little bit in the sense that, you know, it's easy for Giles to say one thing when he doesn't actually have to do anything. Because I think the whole point of Ben's death is to show that Giles would have killed Don if he had to. I think that I don't think he would have. I think he would have. I hundred percent. I think he, he would have too. Yeah, I, I don't think, think he could do it. I think the whole point is that he could. Like it. I feel like it was very clearly shown that if he thinks it benefits the world, mm-hmm. he could. Yeah, Giles is very consistent. I also think it's fundamentally like we forget that Giles is not as close to Dawn as he is to anyone else. Yeah, hence him leaving her in season six. <laughs> exactly. Buffy is literally like his his kid. Like Buffy is really like his kid. And then like Willow and Xander are pretty much like his like niece and nephew. You know what I mean? Like sure. you can tell he has very much like a care for them, but like we really don't see him caring like that for Dawn. Yeah. I just don't think he would. I think it's like he kind of expects like Buffy or the gang to do it. I don't think he could do it. I think it's pretty consistent that Giles is willing to get his hands dirty. I mean, he says she's not like us. You know, she's a hero you see. Giles recognizes that there's a part of his soul, I believe, that it has been uh, changed and I guess corrupted for the a lack of a better term. Um, From Igon? from Igon, from his past, from the, like, it's been insinuated that there are things that Jaws has had to do to get his hands dirty. Um, we see how he attacks Ethan Rain with almost no remorse when he's, when he's, um, in Halloween, when he's like beating him up and stuff. And that's the first time we see Ripper Giles. We're like, what the heck? He has a darkness to him that I wish the show had explored more, but we see He also out. has a switch. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Which is kind of which shows to me that it's um it's so hidden in him mm-hmm. that it's just something where it's like it's it's a part of him. It's something that he can naturally switch on and off. Especially since after we don't really see him like coming out of that and being like, oh, like that was really hard for me. We just see him coming out of it and just like snapping back. Yeah, a lot of people say that Ethan Rain is Giles is um, Ripper Shadow Side. Yeah. Just like the whole thing of chaos, you know? So I don't know. It's just, it's a really, and I'm so excited to talk about the gift when we finally get to it because there's so many things that it's just like, ooh, this is just juicy to talk about. Um, But yeah, I don't even remember how we got on there, but I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, Okay. So we talked about the whole like symbolism of water. I talked about how like the drowning in Prophecy Girl and then coming back and then is like a baptism of sorts and it's mirrored in Bad Girls and such. Um, Angelus is um, running out into the rain or Angel's running out into the rain when he turns into Angelus. Water 
is used frequently throughout the Buffyverse as a symbol for baptism and change. Um, it will be used again in season four when Faith dreams about defeating Buffy in a grave and then emerging in the pouring rain. Um, and then that's when she wakes up. Uh, it's also used again in Angel 555 when Faith and Angel are fighting and she melts down in the rain and that marks a change for Faith. So it's just really interesting to watch each of the times that we have um, water, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Rain is also used not only uh, my literal AP literature class coming in handy. Uh, <laughs> rain is used a lot in novels and movies as like like sometimes change, but it's usually just like it's supposed to set a mood um, for like yeah. sadness and stuff. I think – Or a shift in the story. Yeah. Mm. I think in Frankenstein, I think there's a scene – people are going to call me out so bad. Give me a little bit of break. I read this junior year in high school. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure there's a scene where Frankenstein's monster is out in the rain and he's staring into a window. Um, and it's like supposed to represent like sadness and his like loneliness and being kind of like on the outside and all this stuff. Um, I remember having to like psychoanalyze it and stuff. So give me grace if I'm completely wrong on that. But I know for a fact that there's other places that won't necessarily say character sad, but they'll they'll go into detail about the rain and like all that. And the rain is usually kind of supposed to use kind of supposed to be about what yeah. the character's inner turmoil is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see this all the time in media. Whenever there's a fight, whenever there's anything like that, it's usually not a bright, beautiful, sunny day. Usually there's, you know, a thunderstorm or something. Okay. Um, so one of the last things we kind of talked about it at the very beginning of the episode, but the whole scene, you know, between Faith and Angel, when, you know, we've talked about Angel's journey is a metaphor for addiction and stuff. Um, and then I talked about how I felt like Buffy didn't doesn't seem to fully understand what faith is going through. And angel kind of knows this. Um, I think this is why it's so significant when Buffy goes to kill faith in graduation day, why faith tells Buffy that she's not ready to take a life and enemies. And yet by the time we get to graduation day, Buffy's at that place, she's ready. And I think that looking at what's happening in this episode, there is a major shift that happens in Buffy's thinking um, not just towards faith, but just in general, if by the time she gets to like, what is it? We're like five, six, we're seven episodes away from graduation day part two and six episodes away from Buffy being like, all right, I'm going to go kill faith. And I'm actually like, there's a part of Buffy that seems to almost relish the idea of killing faith because she's so angry about her trying to shoot and kill angel. Um, and so it's just very interesting to watch Buffy fight so hard for Faith in this episode and be like, she wants to change, she can change, and then suddenly shift to that um, to that point. I mean, I will give Buffy the benefit of the doubt. It's not for lack of trying. Like, it is really not like a fast and quick switch. Like, Buffy really does fight for Faith. And I mean, even like after all this and then when Faith comes back in season four, like, yeah, Buffy hates her. But like, we still see... Buffy fight it's it's not really until everything with Riley that I feel like we really get that switch of her being like I can't help you anymore well I also feel like graduation part one is kind of I view it as her getting to a place of being like all right I'm ready to kill Angelus from season two it's like a he, like she's been making mistakes been kind of like killing people and she's been like kind of like maybe like hoping for the best or yada 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 and then it's like 
as soon as she starts like posing a major threat, especially people around her, then she's like, I got to put this girl down, you know? Um, same thing with Angelus. It's like as soon as he killed like Jenny, it was like she was like gearing up to kill him by the end of season two. And it, honestly, we'll talk about when we get there because it's pretty soon, but it's like it's kind of a gray area too because it's like she is human. Yeah, you know? exactly. And it's like, was was that okay to do? Very interesting. Right, which is why like this episode in Bad Girls is really impactful for what's going to happen at the end of the season because it's like, should Buffy take a human life? Is that ever okay? Yeah. Then bam, right. Faith, who is a human, is gone dark. Is that something the police should be dealing with or is it okay for Buffy to go and handle it? You know? So it's very, very interesting. Yep. Um, okay, so then a couple more things. So Faith says, you know, we don't need the law. We are the law. Um, this echoes Buffy's words to Xander and Willow in Selfless. There's that episode again where she talks about killing Anya. Um, I think she means it slightly differently than Faith does, though. I think Faith means it in the way that she's like, we don't need accountability, even if it means killing an innocent human. Whereas I think Buffy still recognizes the need for accountability outside of the demon world. And so she's talking about it as I am the law as in I'm the law in the demon realm, not like or outside. I've all I've got when it comes to the demon realm. But I do have sure. people on the outside who I can go to for advice, right? And accountability, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like there's a there's a, a big difference in the way they say those things. There's also parallels in this episode with we've talked about dead things before, so not going to go into too much detail, but Spike saying there's my girl um, at the same time, you know, Faith is saying, there's my girl when Buffy punches her too. Both Spike and Faith are trying to draw out the darkness in Buffy or trying to antagonize or affirming or the dark her. side of her. Yeah. Or trying to get a certain type of response out of her. So again, we mentioned this earlier on, um, just like, you know, what is it half an hour ago when we first started this episode, but do you guys think Buffy's philosophy and ethics changed over the course of the show? Or do you think she stays consistent in how she handles herself? I will die on this hill, but Buffy stays consistent. I think from season one, the only life she is willing to sacrifice is herself. Like an innocent life. The only life she's uh, willing to sacrifice is herself. We see that in Prophecy Girl. We see that in The Gift. Like, Buffy continually puts only her life on the line. The only time she's willing to sacrifice a life is because the, that life is the one who has caused it. So Angel or um, or Faith or Anya or those are the only times she's willing to take a life. And it is purely because the damage that they're causing is just them. It's not because... It's, you know, it's to save the world and one life over the other. It's no, it's one life is causing all the, these issues. So uh, how do you, I mean, we'll definitely get there, but just playing devil's advocate. So back to lies my parents told me, Buffy tells Giles that her answer would have changed from season five, that she would have killed Dawn or that she would kill Dawn if she needed to. She also tells Robin Wood that if he steps in her way, she will allow Spike to kill him. That feels like a empty threat, to be honest. Okay. I also hate that because it feels so out of character for her. I'm like, where in the world is this coming from? That makes no sense to me. I, I'm going to keep my thoughts to myself until we get to that episode because I have a lot of feelings and stuff. But I'm really excited to talk about the episode, also dreading it a little bit, just because I feel like it's a clash of a lot of different ideologies and stuff. But yeah. So I don't know. I'm curious. 
as of where I stand right now, I see Buffy as being consistent and living consistently, but I'm excited to see if my views change at all as we cover the series because I feel like I've already learned so much, even just like walking through the episodes and like really examining them. I feel like I've even changed some of my viewpoints that I've held for the entirety of the show. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh, well, I was thinking that the other day. I was like, I feel like people are going to be listening to my view in the very beginning of our podcast about on like Spuffy. And it was like, "Eh, I was very indifferent. And then like a season ago, I was like, oh, you're right, Spuffy. And like, and then the past couple months, I'm like, you know what? I don't love Spuffy. Don't like them. Season seven, I don't mind the idea of them. I hate the direction of where they went with just Buffy in general and Spike screens time. So, and or just in general with like different like um, ideas. I kept thinking about that. I was like, people are going to get so confused because I feel like I constantly like having to break down the series is like having to call into question every theory I've ever had. Sure. Um, because then you, you, but you look in like you have to look like really deeply into what the writers are saying, what the yeah. actors are doing with their characters, what the story is telling me, you know? And so I'm yeah. like, hmm, I don't know if this is necessarily what I have always thought it was. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it's going to be really exciting. I And I, I hesitate sometimes to be like, oh, yeah, this is what I think about, you know, season six and seven because I'm like, I my feelings might change on some things. But- I know. It's been a while since I've seen six and seven just because they're very hard to binge for me personally. But um, it'll be interesting <laughs> and daunting to have to break through both of those. Yeah. We're going to be like completely flip-flop on everything and people are going to be like so confused yeah. as they're listening through this. I feel like I've stayed pretty consistent. You've only seen six and seven like once. I mean, yeah. Season five, Spike, I actually hate more than season six and seven. That's an unpopular opinion. but No, I've I actually heard that do. from quite a few people. Really? Yeah. They don't like it because they feel like things are a little bit more gray with him in season five. That and he's painted out to for us to feel bad for him and to be like the, oh, poor Spike in season five when he's creepy and violating. Yeah. All right. So I don't want to end another podcast on Spike, but we have an email from Suzanne Bennett and she wrote – it's, it's kind of long, but it's so good. So hang in there. It's all about shame, empathy, and sympathy in consequences. So this is what she has to say. The main issue in the death of Alan is not that he was killed by faith. We know this happens. We even see it in Ted. The issue is the response to his death. We see a very different response from faith to what we see with Buffy and Ted. One took responsibility. One does not. Given Giles even establishes that this has happened before, it is interesting to me the methods undertaken by the council compared with those taken by Buffy and Angel. The Watcher's Council are supposed to be the authority on Slayer matters, institution, and tradition, yet they are brutal, don't look after their own, and we see them turn to violence. Their response to Faith is to capture her and attempt to take her by force to England for trial, keeping in mind this happens after Helpless. It's understandable no one, viewers included, trusts them. Angel, who is the physical representation of what they are fighting, is the one supporting their frontline warriors, Buffy, Faith, and Giles. His empathetic response is what you might have expected from the Watcher's Council in this case. Angel can understand Faith's position. He's lived with and had to address his own remorse, own responsibility, and own shame over his past actions and current feelings. But the Council should, though given again, we know this has happened before. Research professor Bren Brown said of shame, we desperately don't want to experience shame and we're not willing to talk about it. Yet the only way to resolve shame is to talk about it. Maybe we're afraid of topics like love and shame. Most of us like safety, certainty, and clarity. And then she contrasts Wesley with the council. She says, Wesley 
and the council display that unwillingness to talk about shame. Instead, they want that safety, certainty, and clarity that is impossible to get in this situation. Angel is only alive because of Giles, Xander, and Willow's help and the conversation with Buffy on the hill where he explored the shame he feels. Then she quotes the scene in Amends where Angel tells Buffy that he wants to take comfort in her, but he knows it'll cost him his soul and a part of him doesn't care. That's shame. Angel is empathizing with Faith's unwillingness to take responsibility, her lack of remorse. He is attempting to help her discuss her shame and therefore heal. And then she quotes Angel and Consequences. Time was, I thought humans existed just to hurt one another, um, but they keep trying, all that stuff. She says, Angel is paying forward what the Scoobies gave him, where the council only appears at this point to want to punish. They may sympathize, but they do not seek to understand. They have no meaningful bond with either Slayer. Therefore, how successfully can they help? And then she ends with a quote, empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Angel, using his own experience, is able to fuel that connection with Faith, and the council simply drives her away, which I thought was a really, really good way of putting all of it. And I think that we're going to see more of that, especially in Sanctuary and Angel Season 1, um, and just the contrast, even then with how well Wesley addresses Faith. Um, and I love, by the time we get to Season 4, the way that Wesley and Faith's relationship evolves, um, and even the way that Faith is so willing to do whatever it takes to help Angel. I mean, Faith really becomes a beautiful character. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just like we see her fight, we see her struggle, we see her take responsibility, but she also always feels like Faith. Like, she she just feels healthier or unhealthier, but she's always Faith. Yeah. Yep. It's going to be good. It's going to be so fun to like analyze and and uh, examine that journey all the way up to the end of season seven, where we kind of get to see a, a much more mature and um, healthy faith. So, all right. Well, thanks, Suzanne, for sending that in. I always love hearing from you guys. And if you guys ever have any emails or thoughts that you want to send to us, definitely let us know. You guys can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. You guys can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr. We always love hearing from you. And we will see you guys next week. Bye.